Well, tonight, let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Um, and we're going to be looking at the first nine verses of chapter one. Okay, let's hear now God's word. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast." There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law <clears throat> which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest." And thus we have the reading of God's word for this Lord's Day evening. So we're uh, tonight we're beginning a, a study of the book of Joshua. Uh, the outline of Joshua is pretty simple, really. First couple of chapters have Joshua himself, first of all, being prepared for the task before him, and then Joshua then prepares the people to go into the land. Then they uh, actually go into the land. They make their initial attacks on the cities of Jericho and Bethel and Ai the, and the Gibeonites as well. And then that's followed by a pretty serious military campaign in the south. And they move upward to the north and they attack in the north. And then once all the fighting is done, then, uh, then the Lord divided up the land among the tribes and then finally the book ends with uh, Joshua giving a couple of speeches and then dying, just like Moses had done in the last chapter of Deuteronomy. Now, this is a book that young boys in particular like because it does have a lot to say about battles and wars 
and so forth. And I know when I was a young boy, that's what I liked. Every Saturday morning, my brother and I would get out our little toy soldiers and have battles all over the living room. And then that was over. Then we would turn on the TV set and watch old black and white movies about cowboys and Indians. Uh, We liked the battles. Uh, But the battles are not really the main point here. If if we want our, our fascination satisfied with battle stories, we might be better off reading the about the great tank battles of World War II or something like that, because they're, they're very fascinating. But Joshua's got something more basic that it's teaching us. Uh, what it's teaching us is God's faithfulness, that God had given his word. He made a covenant with his people, and he was going to fulfill that covenant. He had promised the land to Abraham and to his descendants, He sent Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt to lead them up to the border of the land. And then he commissioned Joshua to actually go into the land and conquer it. And the Lord Lord even speaks about that in today's text, doesn't he? In the third verse, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. So it was already given to them. It was just a matter of going in and taking what God had set apart for them. And not only do we see it here in the first chapter, but if we were to move on into the very last chapter in the book of Joshua, we would see that Joshua once again reassured God's people that he had kept his promises. In fact, there he reflects on a promise that God made to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when he said, And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, Uh, vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. So over and over we see God's faithfulness to his people. God gaining the victory and leading his people forward. But I also think that when we come to the book of Joshua, there's one more thing that we need to see before we get started in in the actual text, and that is to see how the book of Joshua fits into the Old Testament. And here I would note that there are several parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the writings of Moses were sort of the foundation upon which everything else was built. In fact, as you read through the prophets, you notice how often they say, as Moses wrote, or as the law said, or something of that kind. In the New Testament, the Gospels sort of fill that role. They lay the foundation for all the epistles and for the book of Revelation and so forth. And uh, likewise, in the, in the Old Testament, the prophets took what Moses said and they explained it and they applied it to the lives of the people. In the New Testament, the epistles fill that role. Well, how does the book of, or the book of Joshua compare to the New Testament? What well, kind of parallels the book of Acts? Because both books are transitional by nature. They move us from the great redemptive historical acts that God had 
done in the Old Testament under Moses and the New Testament with Jesus to the, what we might call the settled life of God's people as how we are to live every day. And what we see both in Joshua and in the book of Acts is that making this kind of transition is hard work. And sometimes it requires us to get a little dirty. Uh, like when, uh, when the, the apostles confronted Ananias and Sapphira and the Holy Spirit struck them dead right there on the spot. Getting a little dirty. When other problems come up in the church, get a little dirty. But you see, all of this has to be done because although the Lord gives us the land, he gives us the church, and it's based on his promises, he still expects us as his people to engage in it. And so we can't just sit back and wait for it to happen. We have to be involved in what God promises us. So with that, let's uh, look at uh, what our text today says. I I want you to start with the first couple of verses. Because these first two verses really emphasize the transition that I just spoke of. And Joshua here notes that Moses had died. And after Moses died, the Lord came to Joshua and told Moses, or told Joshua, Moses is dead. Now, therefore, get up, go across the Jordan, take all the people with you, and go to the land that I have given to you. Now, these verses show that Joshua was never meant to be a new story. It's not just well, something happened under Moses, and then something else happened under Joshua, and something else happened under Samuel, and so forth. No, what we see here is a continuation of a story that had already begun. And these two verses highlight that in a couple of very interesting ways. First of all, notice that the very first word in verse 1 is the word now. At least that's what it is in our English Bibles. In the Hebrew Bible, it's actually just the conjunction and. And after the death of Moses, God said to Joshua. And that's, that's a fascinating because when you think about it, the book of Genesis did not begin with the word and or now. And of course, that's because there wasn't a story before that. But when we come to the book of Exodus... It does begin with the word and, and so does Leviticus, and so does Numbers, and so does Joshua. As you see, the writers of Scripture are piecing together the whole picture for us. They want us to see that this is one unified story. But the other way that that these two verses emphasize the transition is that they focus so much on the death of Moses. Joshua mentions Moses' death in the very first line. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. And so that's Joshua's introduction to the book. Moses had died. And then in verse 2, we have the Lord actually speaking to Joshua. And what does the Lord say? He says, Moses, my servant, has died. And so, and this is a very important thing here. You see, Moses was directed by God to lead the Israelites across the Red Sea. But it was not Moses' job to lead the Israelites across the Jordan. 
The Lord does not distribute his gifts and responsibilities equally. He gives one person to do one thing, another person to do something else. And each of God's servants can and will do only so much as God gives them to do. And when the Lord is ready to move on to some new aspect of the work, what does he do? He takes out the one and he puts in someone else. And that's very clearly what God did here. Moses had died. And now it's time for Joshua to step in and to finish what Moses had started to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But then we have to ask ourselves another question, that is, who was this Joshua? Who was this man that was going to lead the Israelites into the promised land? Now, in our text, Joshua identifies himself only in two ways. He tells us who his father was. He was the son of Nun. And also that he was Moses' minister, or we might say his assistant in some of the earlier work. And so that very brief introduction to Joshua assumes that, that, that the original readers of the book, and even us today, already knew who Joshua was. That is, they had read the five books of Moses already. We know the five books of Moses. We know who this man was. So let's just think about that for a little bit. And what what do we know about this man? First of all, his name is very important. It is a, a contracted name. It's a shortened name, a shortened form of the name Jehoshua. And in the Hebrew language, Jehoshua means Jehovah is salvation. Now see, right away you're thinking to yourself, that you recognize that, don't you? Because that's exactly what the name Jesus means. Uh, Before Jesus was born, the angel told Joseph to call Mary's son Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. The difference between Joshua or Jehoshua and Jesus is just simply a language difference. Joshua is Hebrew, and Jesus is Greek. And so we learn from this that Joshua, who led God's people into the promised land in the Old Testament, was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, who saves his people from their sins and leads us into heavenly joy and glory. And in fact, the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews comes pretty close to saying this. It says, uh, for if Jesus, and here's talking about Joshua, because the New Testament was written in Greek, it uses the Greek form of the word. For if Jesus or Joshua had given them rest, they would not have afterwards spoken of another day. Now, there's an important point there, and that is that Joshua did not give the people rest. At least he didn't give them all the rest that they needed. He did drive out a lot of the Canaanites from the land, but he didn't remove all of them as he was supposed to. But our Lord Jesus Christ gave the people complete rest by his death upon the cross. 
Uh, on the cross, he took our place and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, conquering our sins once and for all. And then he defeated death itself and raised himself from the grave, which we celebrated last Lord's Day. And so now our Savior speaks to us with some of the tenderest words in all of the Bible. When he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you the rest that the Sabbath day cannot give you. I will give you rest that Joshua couldn't give you. I'm going to give you real spiritual rest. Where you won't be struggling with your sins anymore. You'll be able to accept God's providences in your lives as you trust Jesus. You trust the Lord. Now, we also get a sense of how distinguished Joshua was when we note something else about this book, and that is that this is the first book in the Bible that is named after its main character. Now, think about just how amazing that is. As Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, of course, and he wrote about men who were eminent in faith, People like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He wrote earlier about Noah. He wrote about Joseph and, and all the things that went on in Egypt toward the end of the book. But Moses did not write a book about, called Abraham. He didn't write a book called Joseph or Noah. And for that matter, there's not even a first and second Moses. So in this way, Joshua is more like Ruth or Samuel or Job or Ezra or Nehemiah, some of these other books that are named after individuals. Now, one writer, in thinking about this, suggests that this book bears Joshua's name for a good reason. He says it's often true that the successors of great leaders tend to be forgotten. After all, who remembers which president came after Abraham Lincoln or which prime minister followed Winston Churchill? That's kind of a tricky question there because, of course, Churchill was prime minister twice. But by highlighting Joshua, the Lord draws attention to Moses' successor. It's kind of like pointing a finger at him and saying, I want you to pay attention to this guy. His life is important. What he does is is an important part of the story that I'm telling you. You need to know about it. So pay attention to Joshua, this man of God, and learn from him. Now another writer goes a little bit further and he says that Joshua has seldom been given the full credit he deserves as perhaps the greatest man of faith ever to set foot on the stage of human history. In fact, his entire brilliant career was a straightforward story of simply setting down one foot after another in quiet compliance with the commands of God. Now, whether Joshua was the greatest man of faith in human history, I suppose, is debatable, But one thing that's not debatable are the accomplishments that God achieved under Joshua's service. 
Uh, Joshua really demonstrated himself to be an extremely competent military leader. In fact, he was a military leader even before the book of Joshua started. When the, when the Amalekites tried to take advantage of God's people at Rephidim, remember it was Joshua who led the battle against them and won an, an amazing victory. Uh, and, and that battle on that particular day lasted until sunset. And it was such an important battle that the Lord even commanded Moses to write it down and read it to Joshua later on. And that was presumably so that Joshua would make sure that 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 promise to destroy the Amalekites would be done by Joshua. Joshua was also one of the 12 spies that Moses sent in to check out the land. But only he and Caleb of all the 12 came back with an encouraging report, believing that that God could actually win a victory against these giants that, that were in the land. Because these two men took God at his word when no one else did. They were the only two people of that generation that God allowed into the land. And here's the interesting thing. All of this took place 38 years before the book of Joshua. There's a 38-year period where we have very little information about Joshua. But yet Moses kept his eye on him. Moses kept training him and working with him. We see him mentioned just briefly here and there. But then when Moses died, then Joshua, or the Lord called this servant Joshua and told him to step forward and take up this role. Now, it wouldn't be correct to say that God used Joshua because of his character and accomplishments, because, you see, Joshua would never have had any integrity and he would not have had any accomplishments if it were not for God's grace working in him. So it would be far more accurate to say that God raised up Joshua and that God gave him such a sterling character and such such courage and conviction so that when the time came, Joshua could step into this particular role and serve God in this way. And in reality, that's the way that God deals with everybody, isn't it? Uh, He hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could display his wrath to the people. And Paul reports that in Romans chapter 9. He says, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared in all the earth. And it just reminds us that we are all vessels that God does with as he pleases. Earlier we spoke about transitions, and God used Moses for a while, and then when he was done using Moses, he pulled him out of the picture and set Joshua, and that's what we're talking about here again, that God uses each of us according to how he chooses. And I think this comes across pretty well in in the way that God expressed himself to Joshua in our text. After reassuring Joshua that he would secure all the land that had been given to Abraham, or at least most of it, the Lord said to him, look, this is verse 5, he says, There shall not a man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, 
so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. I can't help but think as I read those words what must have crossed Joshua's mind as he heard them the first time. What amazing comfort he must have taken from them. As he was there with Moses for all 40 years, he saw what had happened. Even the times when there were rebellions and so forth, he was there for the wars and the battles and the fighting. And yet God was with Moses and never left him. And here Joshua gets that same promise. The Lord that had been with Moses all these years would be with Joshua too. But you know what? It's even better than that for us because the good news is that he also promises to be with every single one of us. Before ascending into heaven, our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, and we read this this morning in the baptism service for Andy, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now think about that. That's a short phrase, but all oh, it's packed with so much meaning, so much comfort for us as the people of God. But it's not just that. The book of Hebrews actually quotes from verse 5 in, in Joshua 1, and it applies it to every single one of us. And this is how the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for the Lord hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, not just say, but boldly say it, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do unto me. You see, the writer's purposely picking up on the first part of verse 5 in our text, that no man would be able to stand before Joshua. So what do we have to fear then? Uh, we have nothing to fear because the Lord is with us. And so armed with the promises of God, you and I can be like Joshua in some ways. We can go out and do great things in the, in the name of our God. Now, the third section of our text today, which begins at verse 6 and goes through verse 9, is a series of exhortations that God gave to Joshua to guide him in his new service. He was to be strong and courageous, an encouragement that, by the way, is repeated three times in just four verses. We see it in verse 6, it's a, again in verse 7, and it's a, a third time in verse 9. So this idea of being strong and courageous is very, very important here. But then we have to ask ourselves, what exactly is strength and courage? As, as, as the Lord is using these words to speak to Joshua. Well, one thing that it's not is a product of our own wills. It's not something that we create within ourselves. It's not something that's natural to us. Strength and courage are given here as gifts of God's grace. And that's something that we see throughout Scripture, that when we're looking for strength, we don't look inward. The world tells us to look inward and we'll find the strength we need, we'll find all the wisdom we need. 
But the scriptures tell us not to look inward because what we see inwardly is our sin. What we are to do instead is to look to the Lord. And uh, in that way, uh, Psalm 18 uh, gives some of my favorite verses on this, where the psalmist says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. You see, the Lord is all these things to us. Jesus is all these things to us. That's why it's so important to understand that Joshua is a type of Jesus, so we see that we find all of these things in him. So let's never think that we stand in our own power, that we have some inherent strength within ourselves, because we don't. Not a single one of us does. No matter how long we've been in the faith, no matter who we might be, no matter how many generations of believers came before us in our family line, we have no strength of our own. Our strength comes from the Lord. And because our strength comes from the Lord, these verses about strength and courage are about what God gave to Joshua. And they focus particularly upon the written word of God. Did you notice that, how often verses 6 through 9 mention the written word of God? Because the only way that a man or woman of God will have genuine strength and courage is by wholeheartedly submitting to God's revealed will. There's no strength in human wisdom. God does not speak to us individually and dreams and visions and so forth. In fact, Joshua didn't even expect God to speak to him all the time in dreams and visions and, and such and special revelation. Because God himself directed Joshua, go to the word, go to the written word. And there you'll find the answers that you need. There you'll find how to live before me. And the Lord was very specific also about how Joshua was to approach the written text of Scripture. And this is what I think is fascinating, because here we are early in the Scriptures, just the sixth book of the Bible, just after the writings of Moses, and yet God opens it up and he tells us, this is how you are to understand this, this is what you are to do. And in particular, there are three things here that we need to take note of. First of all, Joshua's submission to Scripture included learning the Word of God. And we see that most clearly in verse 8, where the Lord told Joshua to meditate upon that word day and night. He was to open the sacred text. He was to read it, learn it, and apply it to every situation that he faced. Now this means that he had to keep it close at hand. Just like Moses had earlier uh, required kings to keep a written copy of his word at hand. So Joshua also, as, the, as a leader of God's people, was to keep the word at hand. It's a simple fact that the best leaders of God's people are those who... Keep God's word at hand. 
who know it inside and out and are able to quote passages freely and are able to cite them from memory. And that's something that we should all strive to do, just like Joshua did. We should all strive to know God's word that well. The second thing that comes out in our text is a way that Joshua would demonstrate his submission to the word of God is that he would not only learn it, but he would also speak God's word. And we see that again in verse 8, where the Lord says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That is, it's never going to leave you. Joshua was to season all of his conversations with God's self-revelation as he had it up to that point in time. And you know, we're to do that as well. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's what we like to have come out. But he says, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Well, what is good? It's the word of God. That's what's good. So we need to speak God's word to each other and to, and to other people as well. And then the third thing that, that, that uh, the Lord encourages in Joshua is obeying God's word. So read it and learn it, and speak it, and then finally obey it. Because you see, a bare intellectual knowledge of God's word is never the goal. Joshua also had to live by every syllable that God spoke. Just like Jesus, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, answered the devil in, in the wilderness temptation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the Lord again was, he repeated this over and over in our text. The Lord told Joshua not just to obey his word, but to keep all of it, every single part of it. He said that Joshua was never to turn either to the, to the right hand or to the left. That is, he wasn't to deviate in even the smallest detail. And by doing this, the Lord says, God would bless him with prosperity and success. And others would be able to look at Joshua and say, Ah, there's someone that God is with. God is with that person. Now you see, these things that we're talking about today, although they were given as specific commands to Joshua, also apply to us. And we have to ask ourselves, are we learning the Word of God as we should? Are we mastering what it means to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for our full salvation? And likewise, do we speak God's Word to other people? There's no better way to build up other people than to speak God's word, since God's word is the means of sanctification that God uses to build up his people. And do we obey it? Are we like the young man in Psalm 119 who finds that by delving into the word of God, he cleanses his way and gives light to his path so that he's able to walk clearly where he needs to go. 
You see, those are questions we need to look at as well as we study the book of Joshua. So Joshua tells us the story of what God did for his people over 3,000 years ago. But as we read this, we need to remember that this is not just history. And the reason that it's not just history is because in all those 3,000 plus years, God hasn't changed. He'll never change. He promised to be our God forever and ever. That's his covenant with us. He leads us every step of the way. That's what he said he would do. And that's something that every single one of us can rejoice in and praise him for as we go out into the world to serve him, just like Joshua served him in his day. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified in all that we do and all of our service. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the clear teaching of your word and and the encouragement, the hope, the comfort, the strength that it gives to us as we open it up and we see what you have done in the past for your servants. And we look at that with the assurance that what we see in the past is also what we will experience in the present and we'll see in the future. And so we pray, God, for your blessing upon us. Be with us, strengthen us, just as you did, Joshua, and help us to see uh, through the book of Joshua that our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, gained the victory and brought us to a rest that even Joshua himself could not give to the people. And we ask our Father that you'd grant us all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.